Okay, fine, maybe I'm just a little nostalgic Cause the memories are flooding my mind, maybe I can't stop it I know I said I wouldn't call, but I'm breaking my promise Cause the memories are flooding my mind, maybe I can't stop it Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast and to a slightly under the weather edition of the podcast. I haven't been feeling super great for the last couple of days, so if I sound a little bit off or I say something even more outlandish than usual, we can just chalk it up to not feeling 100%. So I will try to keep this uh, brief for both of our sakes, but I wanted to offer some reflection this week on uh, maybe a, a little bit of a follow-up to our absolutely wonderful conversation and time together last week at our Dia de los Muertos service. Uh, have Kelly to thank for adding Dia de los Muertos to our Mission Hills traditions and just uh, want to extend my gratitude to everyone who was able to participate and to, to bring uh, items for our, our friende. And uh, it was just uh, just a really rewarding conversation, uh, remembering, uh, those that we've lost, um, reflecting on stories and memories, uh, of those that we care about most. So I wanted to, it got me feeling a little bit, uh, nostalgic, which I, I'm a four on the Enneagram. So it, as many of you know, it doesn't take much to, uh, get me feeling nostalgic, but I, I wanted to follow up on our conversation last week and it got me thinking about um, the last time we will ever do anything. And we might have done this meditation before at Mission Hills, but essentially it, it causes us to reflect on the last time we will ever do something. And you can uh, scan through and think about an event that was the last time you did that thing or went to a certain place or saw a certain person. Oftentimes when we do something for the last time, uh, we don't know in the moment that it will be the last time that we do that. Uh, what comes to mind for me is um, playing a baseball game. Uh, I was in high school uh, and it was my senior year of high school and it was a single game elimination game. And I, I knew it was a possibility that it would be the last baseball game I ever played. But in the moment, I wasn't really considering uh, this would be the last time I ever play uh, competitive baseball. And I grew up playing baseball, uh, as many of you know, for uh, my entire life. Uh, that was really all the way up till I was 18 years old. Um, pretty much the main thing uh, that I did. And uh, we were talking about egos and identities that we that shape us throughout our lives and and how um, how our identities are shaped by the things that we do or the or the things that people recognize us for and for the first you know thirteen years of my uh, growing up and development in adolescence uh, I was a baseball player and when I laced up my cleats uh, on that particular day in the spring of 2006, I, I didn't think it was going to be, or didn't even consider that it was going to be my last, uh, my last game. 
And maybe there's something for you um, that you, you think of. Maybe it was a person. And whenever you said goodbye, you didn't consider that that was the last time that you would see that particular person. And so as we're reflecting on, uh, you know, being nostalgic and, and thinking of uh, this particular reflection or meditation on the last time we've done a particular thing, I was thinking about how throughout the Gospel of Luke, um, which is for this lectionary year, we're coming up on the end of, of year C in the lectionary in a couple of weeks. And I was just thinking about, uh, you know, what a gift it is to be able to read uh, a particular gospel every year. And I started reading the gospel with this idea of the last time. So as the disciples were doing various things and as Jesus was going about his ministry, like when they were doing certain things, did they consider what they were doing, whether or not it would be the last time they did that? So I was kind of reading the stories with that particular thought and reflection in mind of the last time. And I was trying to think of a question for us this week, and maybe we'll start our um, conversation on Sunday with, with this question. But I'm curious of what is something small or maybe seemingly insignificant that makes you truly happy. And I think one thing that we, when we consider being nostalgic, uh, experts have actually shown now, like I think a lot of times throughout uh, history, uh, nostalgia was seen as a, a negative emotion. And even uh, at some point before, before scientific literature, uh, it was, nostalgia was considered uh, demonic. Uh, but actually experts now uh, have found that nostalgia actually produces a lot of uh, positive benefits uh, psychologically. But that's kind of an aside, but I am curious at what is something small that makes you truly happy or something seemingly insignificant? Because when I think of um, being nostalgic or thinking about uh, our lives, approaching our lives as if this would be the last time, like um, if I go into a Starbucks and um, order a coffee, um, or whatever coffee shop of your choice, right? This is podcast isn't sponsored by Starbucks, but say I, you know, engage with the barista with the, uh, with the mindset that this is probably the last time I am going to engage this person. Uh, it brings a level of gratitude and presence into your life that might not otherwise be there. And I'm curious of what something, what is something small for you or insignificant that just makes you happy. Like for, for example, recently, uh, for, for me, it is, uh, Thursdays, Thursdays and looking forward to Thursdays. Like I'm already looking forward to, to next Thursday. I, I get unreasonably happy for Thursday mornings because Thursday mornings, I know our burrito day and Andrea and Ellie and I will make the drive and we will go pick up burritos and, we love Lucky Boy burritos if you've ever been in Pasadena. So we will go pick up Lucky Boy burritos and get them to go, call it in, uh, pick it up, take them to Fuller's campus. Uh, and it's just an incredibly beautiful space to lay out a blanket and Ellie sits down, we put, pull out her toys and we eat burritos outside. Thursdays are burrito day. 
so seeming, seemingly insignificant, uh, but it makes me unreasonably happy. Last week in our small group conversation, uh, we were reflecting on how, uh, you know, dying to certain ideas or um, aspects of our um, ego and, and sort of who we think we are, you know, the, the, our emotional programs for happiness, as I've, I've called them, Thomas Keating calls them, um, how, uh, or even just an understand theological understanding, an understanding of God, um, that how this can be incredibly painful, but also unbelievably liberating that these, this death and resurrection pattern, um, they, they coexist. And we, we talked about that last week, how, um, in order to have resurrection, something has to die. And, you know, as we're coming up on the, the end of the gospel of Luke, uh, yeah, I, I tend to think of uh, liberation as being one of the core themes that we've, we've talked about that, what the Gospel of Luke is concerned with is liberation of those who in society do not have honor, like like the sick, the widow, the poor, the imprisoned. I think of Luke 4. But there are so many scenes uh, in the Gospels, right, that um, I, I think about as last time events. Um, you know, in particular, Luke 9, like there's a story uh, where Jesus calls the 12 and he tells them, you know, to go out and, um, do what he's doing to cure diseases and to, um, to deal with demons. And he says, you know, don't load up yourself with lots of stuff. Keep it simple. Um, he says, you are the equipment. That's what the message says. You know, don't go to luxury ends. He says, get a modest, modest place. If you're not welcomed, leave town. Don't make a scene. Shrug your shoulders and moved on. Commissioned, they left. They traveled from town to town, telling the latest news of God, the message, curing people everywhere they went. And there's, I think, something that makes me think of this this sort of last time approach and how uh, we sort of hope to embody uh, faith as a community, this sort of uh, relationship between death and resurrection, um, doubt and faith. We always say that uh, doubt is essential for faith. Um, and I see we, we another thing we always say is uh, in our welcome reading to not take ourselves too seriously. And I see that all over this particular story in Luke nine. I mean, Luke, Jesus uh, says, you know, don't load up yourselves. Like if somebody doesn't welcome you, you know, move move on. Um, there's such a simplicity in this approach that I don't think exists in a lot of uh, conventional religious spaces and definitely not in a consumer capitalist culture. Um, like we always encourage ourselves to not take ourselves uh, too seriously because so much of confessional Christianity is it's a head trip. It's, it's ego driven and it's about having the right ideas or the best theology or the most degrees the purest politics, it is just a certain kind of keeping up with the Joneses to me. Like when we talk about liberation, when we talk about um, dying to the need to be right, uh, when we uh, talk about um, dying before um, we're, we're dying before we're dead, uh, 
I can't think of the, the term right off the head, my top of my head. Um, I'm, I'm sick. So, all right, we'll chalk that up to, to being sick. Um, all that to say is, uh, th- that has to do with this idea of liberation. Like when we talk about liberation, um, part of the liberation is recognizing that we don't have to play any of those games anymore. All these games about being right or having degrees or, or having the right ideas, like, like who cares? Uh, you know, last week we talked about, um, one of the things that we, we hope to do at Mission Hills when we gather as a community is to, to really consider like what matters to us in life, like what matters to us in life. Um, and one paradox that I, th- I think is present here is, uh, what really matters, uh, like doesn't at the end of the day, doesn't really matter. Like that is liberating to me. Like what a relief that we don't have to have perfect theology. What a relief that we don't, we don't need another book that's going to give us the thing that's going to make us feel better. Um, like all of that trying to paper over our anxieties, like realizing that we don't need anything is so freeing to me. And to me, um, dying before you die, there it is, um, is, is absolutely painful and absolutely liberating simultaneously. Um, like what, what do we think about the Bible? Okay. Does that really matter? No. Um, what do you think about God? Like that doesn't matter. Um, like last week we talked about, um, you know, this, uh, conversation between Jesus and these followers. And he, he mentions, uh, sinning or, or missing the mark and having, having the son have the run of the house. Um, like, did you mess up? Did, uh, did you fail? Like, great. Like it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter in the way so much of our conventional religion and, um, status quo thinking in our society and culture, um, makes us want to, to have to think that everything is the biggest deal. And one of the things that, like I said, the paradox, I guess, is that what really matters is that none of that matters. Uh, what matters is the present moment. What matters is love. What matters is the experience of being present to our own lives. Like dying before we die is that we can experience something about the depth dimension of life here and now. And to me, something about that is nostalgic. Like when Jesus sends out the 12, uh, there's such a, a levity to it. Like he's not saying don't do these things or these things don't matter. Um, you know, he's saying, go out there, cure the, cure the sick, take care of the demons. Well, if, if you're not welcome, yeah, move on. Um, like what's important. Um, so something that's really important, uh, also it doesn't matter if it's, if they're not welcomed, if that makes sense. I'm not sure if that makes sense, but there's, uh, a recognition of the impermanence of all of it. I guess is what I'm trying to say. And to me that the recognition of death, the recognition of impermanence, uh, 
the, which when I say impermanence, I mean that um, everything is, like a, the moment is going to pass just like this moment passed. And at some point it will be the last time um, we engage with someone. Um, it will be the last time we play a baseball game. Um, and we might not know it, but to live with the kind of presence um, of that kind of impermanence, I think is incredibly liberating and uh, offers an opportunity for uh, happiness, honestly. I can't think of another word right now. Um, and like we've said in a variety of ways uh, last week, like it's through this recognition of death and dying that we're able to to hopefully be a little bit more present here and now that um, we're able to recognize the quality of our lives a little more closely. We're able to be present with someone we love uh, a little bit more acutely. Um, so I was thinking of this idea of uh, nostalgia uh, for the present which uh, is, it was this phrase that I heard uh, Pete Holmes, the comedian, say, uh, nostalgia for the present, which it sounds like uh, there's a guy uh, several years ago on NPR who he would make up words. I've talked about him before on Mission Hills. He would make up words for human experiences that didn't have words. And I looked up to see if he had a word for this, but not one that I could find. But I think it's a, a, a really great phrase, nostalgia for the present. So I... I looked this up this week to see if there was a particular phrase for this. And actually, uh, experts do have a phrase for nostalgia for the presence, and it's called anticipatory nostalgia, anticipatory nostalgia. And there's a distinction between anticipatory nostalgia and anticipated nostalgia. Anticipated nostalgia would be uh, more associated with uh, a negative emotion. So if you're, say you are um, going to, it's your last day of vacation and you're going to the beach or something. Uh, and you know that you are going to in two weeks really miss being at the beach. And so you're already projecting into the future about how much you're going to miss what you're experiencing. It takes you out of the present moment because you're already negatively associating in the future about how much you're going to miss the present. Anticipatory nostalgia or what Pete Holmes calls uh, nostalgia for the present actually makes you gives you a nostalgic feeling in the moment that uh, really closely links you makes you more present it's uh, a positive emotion it makes you happy so like burrito day for instance like me being at burrito day um, tasting the avocado in egg and hash brown and watching Ellie play with her toys. Like there is an anticipatory nostalgia in that moment of recognizing like, how, how precious those days are, right? Like I know in my life, there is only going to be so many burrito days. Like one day will come where it will be the last burrito day. And that is sad to think about. But in the moment, I have this anticipatory nostalgia of like, how great is it that I get to enjoy this sunshine and this burrito and the feeling of grass underneath the blanket, sound of birds in the air. Like anticipatory nostalgia brings us closer to what is happening 
in our bodies and what's happening around us. And so it made me think of uh, another story from the Gospel of Luke that we uh, talked about this year, which is the transfiguration. And I think this is a great example of something that's close to uh, anticipated nostalgia, not an anticipatory nostalgia, because Peter, if you know the story, you, do, you probably do, um, he, Jesus is transfigured, uh, Moses and Elijah are showing up on, on the mountain, they're having a conversation, and Peter's like, we should erect a monument um, to this occasion, like we shouldn't leave, and you, like the story goes, they, uh, Jesus tells them to not say anything to anybody, and they, you know, eventually go back down the mountain, but Peter's so caught up with memorializing the event that I have to think at some level, he's not there. He's not present. He's not exhibiting anticipatory nostalgia because he's already trying to memorialize it for a future day so that they could, they could return, uh, one supposes. Um, and yet, part of that, in that, he misses what is actually happening. Another thing is thinking about... Uh, nostalgia and last time uh, is I was thinking about the Last Supper and what what the range of emotions for um, the disciples that were present for them would have been like, how many of them would have understood at some level that that was going to be uh, the last Passover meal that they would share. Uh, obviously, is the way the Gospel of Luke tells the story, um, Jesus, uh, it goes into the Passover meal um, talking and, and knowing that it's going to be uh, his last meal. But I, it just got me thinking about uh, what the other disciples were also thinking when Jesus is uh, breaking the bread, pouring the wine, like what they were considering um, that meal um, to do. Um, I'm, I'm going to try to wrap this up. So I guess what I'm trying to say is whether it's through... A meditation like Memento Mori, um, which is a, a version of what we did last week, the, pro the, the practice of remembering that we will die as a way of connecting us to this moment, to our breath, to our life, to the people that we love, or it's through a practice or even an exercise like anticipatory nostalgia. Um, contemplation is another way that uh, we can engage in this contemplation or, or silent prayer or uh, Lectio Divina, something that is a process of letting go, um, releasing, relaxing, uh, easing into the presence of God, a sense of effortless, effortlessness. Um, something like centering prayer is a, is a practice that we, we do where uh, the goal is to, is to let go. The goal is to have a kind of effortlessness when we engage uh, the divine, when we engage um, mystery. And all of this, all of this, whether it's any of these practices or um, dozens that we have done that we haven't named or any kind of practice of being outside together as a community, all of this is an effort to uh, connect us to what really matters. But holding that with a kind of levity, like Jesus sending out the disciples, that um, things are important and they matter, but that that also doesn't really matter. 
uh, I think, uh, to me, reflecting on, on death and reflecting on the various ways that we die before we die, um, we hold this tension that things are really matter and also things don't matter. Uh, last week in our small group, we talked about the meme with, there's like one character that uh, is sort of curled up in a ball. It's like nothing matters. And the same uh, character is like jumping for joy, like limbs spread out. It's like nothing matters. It's, it's holding a similar kind of a ten tension um, that what matters also doesn't matter. And it, it sort of makes me think about like the days that for me, and the days for, for all of us, like some days we're so distracted and we have so many things going on. And, um, sometimes those days feel really short and sometimes those days feel really long. Like we have a million things to do and we just, we're not gonna be able to get all of them done or we're being pulled in a variety of different directions. And it's hard, like it just feels sort of like we're disoriented and our head is spinning. And like, maybe it's, it's helpful for us to think about what does it feel like on days like that? And then to, to think about um, days or times where we're really present, where we feel that uh, the day stretches out, um, time feels so much longer than it normally does, or we happen to be much more present and aware of, of our time and of our space and of the people around us, the smells, the sounds. What was different? What was different about those, those two days? What, what was different about the quality of our attention and intention and awareness. And uh, I mentioned last week, as we were thinking about those that we've, we've lost and those that we've loved and even those that we've been connected to, I'd mentioned that uh, Kyle Lake, uh, the pastor at UBC, it, last week was actually on the day, October 30th, the 17th anniversary of the day that he died um, before giving a baptism in church at UBC. And his influence in my life is, uh, as I, I wrote a little reflection, um, it's really hard to, to like qualify or to sort of figure out for me um, how Im impactful and important um, that event was and sort of the subsequent events after, after he passed away were in my formation in life. And uh, I've mentioned this before, but on the day that he um, passed away, um, he had written his, um, his ending of his sermon. And uh, I'm going to end uh, this morning by, by reading that. So this is uh, from Kyle Lake from October 30th, uh, 2005. And um, this was the end of his sermon that he uh, wasn't able to, to give. He says, abandon your plans of escape and be where you are. Plant gardens and live, and live well. I don't know what your planting gardens may look like, but let me end by trying to provide a glimpse into what they might be like. Breathe. Breathe in and breathe deeply. Be present. Do not be past. Do not be future. Be now. On a crystal clear, breezy, 70-degree day, Roll down the windows and feel the wind against your skin. Feel the warmth of the sun. If you run, then allow those first few breaths on a cool autumn day to freeze your lungs. Do not be just alarmed, be alive. 
get knee deep in a novel and lose track of time. If you bike, pedal hard. And if you crash, then crash well. Feel the satisfaction of a job well done, a paper well written, a project thoroughly completed, a play well performed. If you must wipe snot from the three-year-old, your three-year-old's nose, do not be disgusted if the Kleenex didn't catch it all, because he soon will be wiping his own. If you've recently experienced loss, then grieve, and grieve well. At the table with family and friends, laugh. If you're eating and laughing at the same time, then you might as well laugh until you puke. And if you eat, then smell. Smell the aromas are not impediments to your day. Steak on the grill, coffee beans freshly ground, cookies in the oven, and taste. Taste every ounce of flavor. Taste every ounce of friendship. Taste every ounce of life. It is, it is most definitely a gift. And with that, as we approach this week, may we love God, embrace beauty, and live life to the fullest. Be well. someone else mm. but sometimes I still remember what you said and how it felt okay fine maybe I'm just a little nostalgic cause the memories flood in my mind maybe I can't stop